Every haunted place has a story with a dark past. This is Ghost Encounters Podcast. Due to the graphic and violent things discussed on this episode, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, all you spooky people, to the second episode of the second season of Ghost Encounters Podcast. I am paranormal investigator Justin Torok. And I'm Jordan, the group scientist. Before we get started, just a few reminders. We still have room for sponsors on the podcast, so if you want a commercial and podcast episodes, uh, please email ghostencounterspa at gmail.com. We also have merch. We have Ghost Encounters glow-in-the-dark t-shirts, stickers, all kinds of stuff. If you're interested, please email me. And don't forget, very important, if you're listening on Spotify, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify. It would really help us out. On this episode, just in time for the 130th anniversary, we'll be talking about the Lizzie Borden Axe Murders. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. The Lizzie Borden murder case abides as one of the most famous in American criminal history, and the horrible identity of the murders was immortalized by the children's rhyme passed down across generations. It just scared me last night. Not to cut you off, but that shit scared me last night. I was doing all this research. I'm sitting in my kitchen. Jeff's walking around. My fiance's walking around the house. It's dark because I do everything in the dark because I'm weird. And I'm sitting there. It's just me and the computer. I'm typing out my notes. I'm trying to collect my shit. And I looked this up. I remember I texted you right after you I did. did. And I was so creeped. I don't know why because it says like it was like a jump rope thing. So I'm yep. thinking like these little tiny kids looking like little Wednesdays. Doing jump rope and it creeped me the fuck out. It scared me so much. With the so. little girls with like no eyes and Freddy yeah. Krueger oh. doing that chant. Oh my god, I was so creeped. And Je- I, like Jeff came in and I was like, I'm so creeped out right now, like freaking out. And he's like, Why? And I sh- I read it and he was like, You're being ridiculous. And I'm like, It just has me creeped out. Like he had no idea. <laughs> well, if you're reading it alone in the dark, of course I know. You're I was really like, I have I tonight. I'm done. I'm done. And I went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> While there's no doubt that Lizzie Borden committed the murders. The rhyme is not quite correct. 64-year-old Abby was Lizzie's stepmother, and a hatchet rather than an axe served as the murder weapon. And fewer than half the blows of the rhyme actually battered the victims. 19 rained down on Abby, and 10 more rendered 69-year-old Andrew's face unrecognizable. Still, the rhyme does accurately record the sequence of murders which took place approximately an hour and a half apart on the morning of August 4th, 1892. Fall River, Massachusetts was rocked not only by the sheer brutality of the crime, but also by who its victims were. Cultural, religious, class, ethnic, and gender divisions in the town would shape debates over Lizzie's guilt or innocence and draw the whole country into the case. In the early hours after the discovery of the bodies, people only knew that the assassins struck the victims at home in broad daylight on a busy street one block from the city's business district. There was no evident motive, no robbery or sexual assault, Neighbors and passerby heard nothing. No one saw a suspect enter or leave the Borden property. Andrew Borden was no ordinary citizen. He was a man of wealth, a frugal and stingy one at that. Andrew Borden began his business career as an undertaker. It was rumored that he would cut off the feet of corpses to make them fit into undersized coffins to save money on wood. But however ill-gotten his initial profits were, Borden invested them wisely. But Andrew had never made a show of his good fortune. He lived in a modest house, and even though he had the money, he didn't want to spend any to renovate for plumbing or electricity. The house was on an unfashionable street instead of the hill 
Fall River's lofty, leafy, silk-stocking enclave. So they had, like, a rich area? Yeah. Okay. So I know he mentioned the stepmother, Abby, but what was his first wife's name? So his first wife's name was Sarah Anthony Borden. She gave birth to both Emma and Lizzie Borden. Lizzie was born on July 19, 1860. Jumping forward to 1892, 32-year-old Lizzie, who lived at home, longed to reside on the hill. She knew her father could afford to move away from a neighborhood increasingly dominated by Catholic immigrants. Lizzie wanted to throw fancy parties and entertain guests as the lady of the house should. However, she was not technically the lady of the house. Three years after the death of Lizzie's mother, Sarah, Andrew married 38-year-old Abby Gray. Both Lizzie and her sister, Emma, disliked Abby very much and were convinced that Abby married their father for his money. Emma, the older daughter, still lived at home as well at age 42, 10 years older than Lizzie. Andrew Borden doted on his younger daughter, though. Over the years, he lavished on Lizzie with expensive gifts, including a diamond ring and a sealskin cloak, right? Ew. Yeah. Ew. Why do you want that? Was that, like, high-end? Like Very high-end. <laughs> oh, it was? Okay. Very expensive. <laughs> Not down with the fashion from the 1800s. My bad. Now, I mentioned he gave Lizzie a ring. Abby, his second wife, she didn't even get a ring. And things get even more strange between him and his daughter. Uh, with Lizzie's allowance from her father, she bought him a gold ring, which he wore till his death. Abby also got an allowance. However, she was only to spend it on household items. So Emma and Lizzie are just daughters of a rich man who he gives them money each week and they can spend it on whatever they want. And his new wife, Abby, is to spend her allowance, which is probably less, on household items. That's so bizarre to me because usually I feel like when This you, whole situation is bizarre. When you like read and you're learning about like the olden days, quote unquote, like you usually see them getting married at young ages. And, like, right. going and starting a new life and da-da-da. He seems like he wants his kids to stay there and, like, have them around. Right. I feel like that's very weird. Like it's very strange. <laughs> and to give, and to, like, exchange rings, like, that's yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah, for, for a father and daughter to exchange rings like that yeah. and not have one for your second wife. It's kind of creepy yeah. and icky. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what Lizzie did in her free time? So as a young woman, Lizzie was very involved in church activities, including teaching Sunday school to children, um, and she was also involved in religious organizations and contemporary social movements. They have lists, uh, like during the research, they have like specifics. I just kind of took down the basic stuff just to show what she was involved in. She seemed like a class act, like just wanted to look the best, look the part. Yeah, she definitely has, throughout the story, you'll see that she definitely has this thing that she wants to have a certain appearance amongst yeah. everyone in the community. Yeah, definitely doing research, you can tell that she seemed like, almost as if she had a like a social mask that she would slip on that was yeah. different than her personality. Completely if this different. was a normal time, she'd be one of those social media influencers yeah. that like, <laughs> their life looks amazing, but inside they're just Shit. awful people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she's, do, she's teaching, she's doing church activities. It makes her seem like a good person. Yeah. But throughout the community, people know her as being very cold and cruel. Uh, both the sisters were known to be not very nice. Um, the Bordens had a 26-year-old Irish servant named Bridget, but they referred to her as Maggie 
the previous servant who they liked better. I was wondering why they they named her Maggie because I was in doing research and I was learning about her, and I'm like, what the frick did they come up with the name Maggie? Because it's nothing like, <laughs> nothing Bridget? like Bridget. I was like, yeah. So, so they, their previous servant who they liked more than Bridget, oh my they decide just to keep calling her Maggie. They're terrible. They just sound terrible. Yeah, but. From what I read, people in the community said that Lizzie was much worse. She had this just cold stare when she looked at you with this light, sinister smile. I mean, have you looked at a picture of her? She almost creepy. Yeah, almost like she knows a, like she's thinking of a joke about you or she knows a secret about you. Just this weird yeah. stare, this slight smile. Now, Abby, the stepmother, tried so hard to feel like a part of the family, but Lizzie and Emma would always make her feel unwanted. These ill feelings increased when Andrew gave uh, Abby a house for her sister and uh, and the girls pretty much demanded that they get one too, right? Yeah, I read that um, they wanted to move into the um, property that they shared with their mother before she died okay. um, and which they purchased from their father for only a dollar. And a few weeks before the murders, they sold the property back to their father for $5,000, which is equivalent to $151,000 in 2021. So actually the night before the murders, John Morse, the brother of Lizzie and Emma's deceased mother visited um, and was invited to stay for a few days to discuss business with their father. And some writers have speculated um, that their conversation wasn't exactly the greatest one. Um, mm. It was about property transfers, and it may have aggravated an already tense and upsetting situation that was going on in the household. Yeah, it seems like money is a huge issue in this family. And it's funny because there's so much, like, Lizzie and all of them make it seem like there's so much of it. Yeah. So why do they care so much? You know what I mean? Maybe it's because I'm not... They, they want that lifestyle. Yeah. And their father's very frugal and holds his money close. Yeah, I like see. Like, he's not spending it. There. You, he could easily have electricity and run it and plumbing in his house, but he won't spend it to do it. He could easily get a newer house in the hills with all the other rich people, but he won't do it. Yeah. You know? He does lavish his girls, but that's primarily the only thing he really spends his money on. I think that they are so worried about not getting anything They're because spoiled, of their new... Rotten. Yeah. They're so worried about not getting as much as they want from him being remarried and their dad not really, yeah, you know, paying full undivided attention They miss their to mother yes. and they hate Abby. Just to show you, they were uh, in town one day and a dressmaker um, made the mistake of referring to Abby as Lizzie's mother. And Lizzie snapped. She flipped out, cursing and yelling at the man, saying that she was not their mother. Oh, my God. That's yeah. embarrassing. Like, why? But they're openly in public, you know, especially Lizzie, showing their hatred towards Abby. Oh, my gosh. Although Lizzie appeared to have somewhat better relationship with her distant and forbidding father, there were problems there as well. A week before the murders, Lizzie was outraged when her father beheaded pigeons with an axe in the barn loft for which she had built a roost. Her father thought the pigeons attracted neighborhood boys who broke into the barn to hunt pigeons. Following this was an apparent family argument, and uh, Lizzie and her sister Emma left Fall River by coach for New Bedford. When Lizzie returned, she chose to stay in a rooming house for four days rather than in her own room in the family residence. So she was that pissed off about her dad killing these pigeons, but with, she didn't want to be... With a hatchet. That's weird. So wait, question. Yes. 
Does anybody know what the argument was about? Uh, was it just about the pigeons? Apparently, from what I read, it was just about the pigeons. Wow. So, like, like, just her sister was just being hella loyal and left with her? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, as sisters. Well, naturally, she I probably defended these, Lizzie. Yeah, and, these okay. two sisters are very close. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their mother deceased. They grew up together. They're only 10 years apart. Um, they're both spoiled rotten, you know? Ooh, why does he care that they attracted the neighborhood boys? It's just such a red flag. He didn't it's weird. Want, he didn't want people on his property. He didn't want people breaking into his it barn. It sounds like he doesn't want anybody to get near his kids. Like, he doesn't want his kids yeah, to it's... live a life? Because they didn't marry. No, they didn't. That's, I don't know. That's weird to me. It's fucking creepy. Whatever. This whole story creeps me the fuck out, to be honest with you. Well, now, Lizzie is back at the house. Emma is away on some kind of vacation. A few days before the murders, Andrew insisted that they rewarm swordfish for dinner, as to not spend any money going to the butcher for new meat. Oh. Lizzie, who had hated doing household chores, decided to help for dinner. Mr. and Mrs. Borden and Bridget, or Maggie, suffered severe vomiting. The next day, Lizzie claimed that she felt queasy. Um, Mrs. Borden didn't really believe her. Over Andrew's objections, Abby waddled across the street to Dr. Bowen's. Uh, she told him about the, you know, the severe vomiting and the stomach pains that uh, both her and Mr. Borden were uh, experiencing. When uh, he learned that the previous night's dinner had been warmed over fish, the doctor laughingly sent her home. Abby was a bit suspicious of Lizzie at this point. I mean, Abby knew Lizzie hated her. Yeah. Right? So the next day, Abby decided to go to the butcher and get fresh mutton to make mutton stew. Abby didn't take her eyes off the stew all day as it cooked. However, Abby made a mistake, and Lizzie helped serve the table. The next day, again, both Mr. and Mrs. Borden got extremely sick. Abby went back to the doctor, and she told him that she feared she was being poisoned, but the doctor thought she was just overreacting. So did uh, Mr. Borden. Mr. Borden didn't want to spend any money. He, Mr. Borden didn't even get himself checked out because he didn't want to spend any money going to the doctor. That's ridiculous. You know, women at this time were, you know, looked down upon. So, yeah. of course, they're just, oh, you are overreacting. You're just a woman. It's still from the swordfish. Calm down. Yeah. And wh- by the way, what's mutton? Mutton is sheep. Oh, okay. Awesome. I don't eat meat that much, so <laughs> I don't know shit about meat. Sorry. <laughs> just a random question. Now, things are already weird at home. But things start to get even weirder. The night before the murders, Lizzie visited Miss Alice Russell, a friend of Emma's. Miss Russell later testified that their conversation had been unsettling. Lizzie had spoken of burglary attempts at the house, uh, threats against her father from unknown enemies, and quote, I feel as if something was hanging over me that I cannot throw off. Father has so much trouble. Although Miss Russell tried to reassure Lizzie, Uh, Lizzie left on an ominous note and said, I'm afraid somebody will do something. Was this like an early confession? Yeah, was (laughs) this like her hinting? Lizzie was thinking of killing her parents? Yeah. I didn't know any of this information, so I'm sitting here quietly because I'm so dumbstruck. Like, I didn't know in depth how, like, this whole thing went down. Oh, yeah. So I'm flabbergasted a little (laughs) bit. I'm just like, wow, I'm sucked in. Now, we mentioned they had a visitor. The night before. Yeah. Yeah, their uncle, John Morse. And what was he doing there again? He was there to talk with their father about, like, future, like, housing plans. Like, what they were going to do with real estate. Right, and, and he was on their side. 
on their side, Lizzie and Emma's side, their mom's brother. Mom's brother. Yeah. Okay. So he wanted to figure out their side of having houses and other business-related materials for Lizzie and Emma So him. Okay. Yeah. So now we have someone else talking about money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And when we know that Lizzie and Emma kind of want everything for themselves. Exactly. And actually, I was reading up on him because then he just falls out of the story. So I was like, well, what the hell happened to him? Did he stay overnight? He, yeah, he was there. He conveniently left when the murders happened, came back. But then even after the murders, after the trial and everything like that, he barely spoke to the family ever again. So he kind of like falls off the face of the earth. So he was originally one of the suspects, which I thought was pretty interesting because if you keep reading or if you like go through this podcast you'll see he just like dies off like you don't even right. freaking so he leaves he it. leaves in the early morning he leaves in the early morning to run some errands i think there was something about like going shopping and some other thing i can't remember but he was running errands he said he would be back like around noon or something like that on thursday morning august 4th bridget rose at about 6 a.m and lit the breakfast fire Around 7, the elder Borden sat down to eat in the dining room for breakfast. And then the uncle left the house around, what, 8.48 a.m. or so? Yeah, he left to go run some errands, which is what I previously talked about. And he apparently planned to return home at the Borden's house around lunch, so around noon. Okay. And Andrew left for his morning walk sometime after 9 a.m. Yeah, Lizzie did not appear downstairs until about 9. Um, She said she was not hungry enough for breakfast and just sat there sipping her coffee while the other two ladies were cleaning and doing other things. Uh, Around nine, a little after, Andrew left the house too, uh, set off downtown to oversee some investments. Perhaps ten minutes later, Abby Borden went upstairs to tidy up the guest room, and Bridget went outside to begin washing the downstairs windows. Only Lizzie and Abby remained in the house. Abby was never seen alive again. I feel bad for her. Yeah. Just this Lizzie Borden pisses me off. <laughs> she makes She's me so mad. Awful. She sounds freaking terrible. Perhaps because of the oppressive heat, Andrew broke his long-established routine by coming home for lunch early. Bridget later testified that she had just begun scrubbing the inside of the windows when she heard him struggling with the front door lock. And uh, she had a little trouble getting him in, right? Yeah, which, like, that should have sent off, like flags in everybody's head because she apparently um cursed because she couldn't get the door open because it was jammed and testified that she heard lizzie laughing immediately after that that's creepy yeah she didn't see lizzie but stated later that she was coming from like the the laughing was coming from the top of the steps right lizzie by her own admission was coming downstairs from the second floor where abby's body lay andrew asked lizzie about abby's whereabouts According to Bridget, Lizzie had told them that they received a note asking her to attend to a sick friend, but no note was ever found. Oh, wow. Well, not surprised she lied. (laughs) Bridget finished washing the windows and climbed the back stairs to the attic room to rest sometime around 11. Andrew lay down on the parlor sofa to nap. On the guest room, one floor above him, lay Abby's bleeding corpse. The house was hot and silent. Within minutes, Bridget recalled she was awakened by Lizzie calling, come down quick, father's dead, somebody came in and killed him. So where the hell were you? 
standing there watching your dad get killed and you just magically her didn't die? alibi is going to change multiple times. Oh my god. We're going to chop into a short break. When we return, we're going to tell you the gruesome details of these murders. Ghost Encounters Podcast is sponsored by Phoenix Fire Media. Bring the heat to your online presence with their digital marketing experts, professional photography, and video productions. Visit phoenixfiremedia.com. If you're enjoying Ghost Encounters Podcast, hit subscribe. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ghost Encounters PA. To watch full episodes of the Ghost Encounters show, visit ghost-encounters.com. Little was left of Andrew's face. Half an eye hung from its socket. Doctors testified that a single axe blow had killed him. Nine others had been just extra gruesome blows. Ew. Shortly after the police arrived, Bridget and a neighbor ventured upstairs for a sheet to cover the hideous sight. And there they found Abby. Her plump body lay face down in a pool of blood. Her head and neck a bloody mess. Those first in the scene noted that Lizzie remained remarkably calm throughout the entire ordeal. While one woman claimed that there were tears in her eyes, several others testified that Lizzie's eyes were dry and her hands steady. How many blows did he get? How many blows did Abby get? Was there a struggle? So I'll start with Abby. According to the forensics in the investigation, Abby was facing her killer at the time of the attack. She was first struck on the side of the head with the hatchet and um, was just cut above her ear, causing her to turn and fall face down on the floor, Mm. which is where they found scrapes and bruising on her nose and forehead. Her killer then struck her multiple times, delivering 17 more direct hits to the back of her head, killing her. That is just, like you you said when we were talking, overkill. That's overkill. Yeah. Unnecessary. Lizzie's father, Andrew, was slumped on a couch in the downstairs sitting room and was struck 10 or 11 times with a hatchet-like weapon. One of his eyes had been split cleanly in two, suggesting that he had been asleep when he was attacked. Yeah, they said his face was pretty much unrecognizable. Yeah, he And if you see, (laughs) like, the crime scene photo of this, it just looks like he's just chilling on the couch, taking a little nap, and there he is, dead with his face smashed in. Yeah, when they had Dr. Bowen, the one that was across the street previously yeah. that Abby went and spoke to, he found the dad still bleeding, suggesting that the attack was very recent. Very fresh. Yeah. So his wounds are still just gushing blood. Yeah. Ugh. And it's like, when you see that photo, you almost look, it looks fake, because you can't believe that right. somebody would even look like that in their own home, like on the couch. Yeah. That's crazy. Lizzie stated that uh, she had removed her father's boots and helped him into his slippers before he laid down on the sofa for a nap which is where they found him. And it has been contradicted by the crime scene photos that show that he's still wearing his boots. Right, so police are there questioning. She's yeah. starting to make up stories, and now they're like, wait, your story doesn't match up. Yeah, it. I feel like consistently she was just, I don't know if she was just overly confident or something, but nothing ever matched up for her. It, it surprises no. me that... I, I, f- I feel like... She didn't have her if shit together. the murders were even somewhat planned, her her story afterwards was not really planned. Yeah, the follow-up She was making there. everything up on a whim. Yeah, it seemed like everything was on a whim. 
unplanned. She had no idea what was going to happen. I don't know, in her crazy-ass mind, she thought that she was just going to kill these people and everything was going to be fine. I she think it's because of her status, of she thought no one would even think of her as a suspect. Yeah, well... But this kind of thing did not happen often in this time period. This kind of thing did not happen in these towns. Yeah. So the entire town was pretty much shook. News traveled fast from neighbor to neighbor, and and even before the evening rolled in, everyone in Fall River seemed to know of the horrifying incident. A local reporter recalled that the cry of the murder swept through the city like a typhoon. Murder committed under the very glare of the midday sun within three minutes' walk of City Hall. By the next day, the news was front page throughout the entire country. Wow. I have here that detectives estimated that Andrew's death occurred at approximately 11 a.m. And then I have previously up here that that um, just before 11.10 a.m., the maid heard Lizzie call from downstairs that quote that you said about Maggie, come quick, father's dead. So I'm like, no shit they saw that it was fresh blood because it probably it happened really, about really 10 minutes ago. just <laughs> happened. She kills him and then she... Probably went to go hide a couple things and then literally ran to tell someone. It's crazy. Police found no signs of forced entry into the home, uh, despite the fact that the Bordens habitually locked their doors. As we know, as Mr. Borden was coming home, the door was locked. Nothing appeared to be stolen. Nothing strange. No stranger was seen leaving or entering the house, and they're on a semi-busy street. Emma was still not home. She was still on her vacation. Yeah, see, I didn't know that. Well, we were just discussing it. I was like, where the heck did Emma go? Why? <laughs> where the fuck is she? And you just said, I, I completely missed that. Um, and I do have in my notes that she was informed of a tragedy by a family friend. So she was out. And they actually found that. Because originally she was a part of the suspect list. Right. They thought that she could have been behind it. But, but she was told via telegraph. Yeah. She wasn't even in town. Yeah, so I didn't know that. So interesting little tidbit about Emma, because at first I was like, where did she go? <laughs> Lizzie was supposed to be home, but she didn't hear or see anything when both her parents are murdered. And here we have this lie that a messenger came to the door uh, saying that, Abby needs to attend a sick friend, but no one, there's no note, there's no nothing. Yeah. I feel like she used that because she knew her sister was going out to see a sick friend, and because she was right. on the fly, she was just like, She kind of just used oh, that. Oh, she went out to see a sick friend too. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. So, police were asking, you know, Lizzie, where the heck were you when all this was going on? How did you not see or hear anything? Lizzie claimed to have been in the loft in the backyard barn for 15 to 20 minutes looking for lead sinkers for fishing. She stated sometimes that she was up there eating pears, but the police found it strange because it was so ungodly hot that no one could withstand the heat in that barn for 20 minutes. Yeah, I, when I was doing my research, I did see that um, they talked about Maggie, the maid, opening all the windows in the house and da 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 so right cuz it was it so makes, hot yeah it makes sense why they were kind of like red flag why and are you and there were the no barn? footprints in the dusty loft either yeah interesting in lizzie's favor she was clean and neat when first seen after the murders police were certain that the murderer would have been covered in blood with how gruesome these attacks were 
During the investigation, did the police find the hatchet that was used? They actually found two hatchets in the basement, two axes, and a hatchet head with a broken handle. Oh. The hatchet head was suspected of being the murder weapon as the break in the handle appeared fresh. Like there was ash and dust and everything there, and it looked almost like somebody deliberately applied it to make it look as if it's been in the basement for a long time. Oh. So they try to cover up their tracks. Gotcha. However, none of the tools were removed from the house, which was pretty freaking stupid, because of that mysterious illness that was going on in the house. So the family's milk, Andrew and Abby's stomachs were removed during the autopsies and tested for poison, and nothing was found. Residents suspected that Lizzie had purchased some form of acid in a diluted form at a local drugstore. Lizzie claimed that she inquired about the acid at the drugstore so she could clean up her furs, despite the local medical examiner's testimony that it did not have any sort of antiseptic properties. She made herself look guilty. Like, I, I just don't understand. The more and more we talk about this, she so just So she was guilty. at a drugstore asking for this yeah. acid to clean her furs. In my research, it was a, a it was a specific acid to help clean her seal silk yeah. cloak or whatever, and the guy's like, I can't just give this to you. you need, <laughs> like you need a prescription or just like, like whatever. Just like her thinking it's, she's entitled to it. Right. She always thought she was entitled. That's probably why she thought she would get away with this is because she was so entitled. Yeah, and, and because another of reason, her stature. Yeah, exactly. And another reason that the handle was broken, they said, was probably because blood Covered was blood. all over it. Yeah. So they got rid of that shit. Yeah, so like, metal is easy to wipe off blood, yeah. but wood is porous. It's going to yep. soak it up. It's going to stain. Yep, exactly. So days pass, and the police are interrogating suspects. They think they have some people. They don't. People's alibis are um, coming clean. But they always go back to Lizzie because her stories just keep not adding up. She keeps contradicting herself and her stories keep changing. Eventually, Lizzie was arrested on August 11th, one week after the murders. The judge sent Lizzie to the county jail and this privileged suspect found herself confined in a cheerless nine and a half by seven and a half foot cell for the next nine months. Going back real quick, I have something I want to add that the, on the night of the murders, the uncle actually spent the night in the attic guest room, which is contrary to later accounts that he actually slept in the murder site guest room where they oh, found Abby. Oh, God. So I thought Imagine that that was that. really crazy. <laughs> Imagine sleeping in that room after that happened. Yeah, that's that's disgusting. It's not perfectly cleaned. Yeah, yeah the body's removed, but like... But, it, but it's just, like, having morals, like... Ooh, I mean, he can't sleep on the couch, either. <laughs> <laughs> True! But just knowing that, like, people died in those said places, I wouldn't be able to even look at those places, let alone sleep in them soundly. <laughs> right. So probably because that she's a woman and because of her social status, there was an outrage by local women's groups and people saying that there's no way Lizzie could have done this. You police officers are idiots. It's definitely not her. She's innocent, and she even made herself appear like an innocent woman in the courtroom. She wore black to mourn, and she, you know, one hand she had flowers, and the other she had like a little fan, oh fanning God. herself in the courtroom. So she made herself look like an innocent, so innocent woman. But people were actually outraged that the police were trying were trying to get her on murder. That's insane. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I just can't. This case goes on for a while. And eventually, on June 20th, 1893, the jury acquitted Borden of the murders. 
I just want to add that upon exiting the courthouse, she told the reporters that she was the happiest woman on, in the world. I don't know if happy would be the right <laughs> term you should use. I mean, yeah, you're getting off on murder, but... The happiest woman in the world, Justin. That's She's happy as hell. <laughs> crazy. That's ridiculous. Now, I know that because of this, now Lizzie and Emma are getting some good fortune, money, into their lives. Now, because Abby was ruled to have died before Andrew, her estate went to Andrew, and then... Andrew dies, which causes the estates to pass on to his daughters. So they got a considerable amount of money from their deaths. A settlement was paid to Abby's family, but the majority was given to Lizzie and Emma. Oh my what happened to them after this? After the trial, the Borden sisters moved into a large modern house actually on the hill oh. where they wanted to be. Now they get to live in the hill. <laughs> yeah. And around this time, Lizzie began to use a new name, Lizbeth Borden. Spelled... So she goes from yeah. Lizzie to just Lizabeth. Lizbeth. Isn't it Lizbeth? Lizabeth? I think it's just Lizbeth. Okay. All right. Um, at their new house, um, Lizzie dubbed it Maplecroft. Fancy. Fancy, fancy. She had to live up to her the hill expectations. Right. Um, the staff included live-in maids, a housekeeper, and a coachman. So they are living luxurious. Luxurious <laughs> after all this happens. She became a Kardashian after. Pretty much. <laughs> Killed her. <laughs> In 1905, Emma and Lizzie reportedly got into an argument of some sort, and Emma moved out and never saw her sister again. Which is crazy because of how close they were, all the right. shit that they've been through, and now she's over this little argument, going to be like, bye. So some really crazy shit must yeah. have been said. But they were going through, I mean, not that I feel bad for them, they were going through stress because people in town, some people in town still think that Lizzie was the murderer. Some people didn't. Um, oh, so, people yeah. People saw Lizzie as fake. Like, there were stories and books being written about this ordeal, and that, that's probably why Lizzie changed her name somewhat, too. Yeah, I mean, you can change your name, but you didn't move far away from where you killed your family. You know, right. well, Emma though, I think she she moves much further away. So, did when did they die, and what did they die of? They both actually died in the same year of 1927. Emma died nine days after Lizzie. Lizzie actually died of pneumonia, and Emma died of chronic nephritis. Which is what? Which is inflammation of the kidneys. Oh, just nine days apart. That's yeah. crazy. Ironically, on the day that. I read this. I hope that this is correct. On the day that Lizzie died, Emma actually fell and had like a nasty fall and broke her hip. Oh, geez. So it almost makes me think like I wonder if something else was going on medically right. that caused all these other problems from that accident and caused her to die from her kidneys. Well, who knows if how many times meals had poison in them and <laughs> Exactly. <anything else. laughs> you know, she could have gotten caught in the crossfire of her sister's bad deeds. <laughs> like, you know, this poor thing, you know. Who knows? Who the fuck knows? One thing that I read that I thought was interesting, when Lizzie did die, funeral details were not published as they should have been, and only a very few people attended. I mean, you're So her know, whole so. life, all she wanted was to maintain the social status. And in the end, no one liked her. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Obviously, when uh, murders like this happen, rumors float about around town, people write stories. So what kind of strange rumors 
if you will, did you find? Yeah, I found some crazy speculations that apparently Lizzie's father physically and sexually abused her. That one be doesn't one. sound too... With it everything doesn't. that was going on with how close they were and buying gifts for each other, that one doesn't sound yeah. too far off. Which is why I was like earlier, like, it's going to make so much sense later because right. now it's believable with the whole rings and the gifts and wanting to keep like her close to him and all that stuff. So that's one thing. Next thing is that Lizzie Borden could have been gay. Oh. Yeah. Um, in a 1984 novel called Lizzie, it suggested that Borden committed the murders after being caught in a scandal with the maid. And the author then elaborated um, his speculation in 1999, saying that Abby caught Lizzie and the maid together and had reacted in horror and disgust, obviously because of the time frame. Right. And Lizzie reacted and killed Abby with a candlestick. With a candlestick, not with an a, axe. The candlestick. And then when it was Lizzie Borden in the attic with the candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Andrew returned home, she confessed to him, but then Lizzie killed him in a rage because with the hatchet because he reacted in a type of way that she didn't really like. So it's like a crazy yeah, I don't story. Know, I don't know about that one. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because then they were trying to say that, like, the maid disposed of the hatchet because she knew how to clean, and later, yeah. like... It just, this sounds more yeah, like a this is like a far-fetched... Novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was still interesting anyway yeah. that this person had, like, a whole backstory about, like, how apparently, like, on the maid's I feel, deathbed, I feel like she confessed. I feel like he would have rather protected his daughter than been outraged. Yeah. You know, he probably would have been pissed in the moment that he had to now cover this up, but I feel like he would have covered yeah, for Yeah, but those, those were, like, two main ones I was like, wow. This is this is just juicy. Like I said, Kim Kardashian of the Hills. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping forward to today, the House of Axe Murders has been turned into a bed and breakfast and bears the name the Lizzie Borden House. The owners have carefully restored the home to the way it looked on that bloody day in 1892. You can even enjoy the same breakfast that Lizzie's parents ate the morning of their murders. Ew. And maybe see their ghost. I'm sorry, that's weird. I'm not going to go to the place where people died and eat their breakfast. That's like going to death row and eating John Wayne Gacy's last meal. Right. That's weird. But this house really was restored to the way it exactly looked. There's there's even yeah. a couch that looks almost exactly the same as the one in the crime photos that Andrew is laying dead on with his bloody face. Ew. It looks like the same exact couch. I don't know. There's something about the Lizzie Borden story and like the fact that this is still like around and like I know that we talk about, like, places that we go and investigate and everything like that, but, like, there's something about this place that freaks me out. I don't know why, because it's really not that big of a deal. But, like, I it gives me the heebie the next place we're going to talk about, I think there's something with that place I that freaks like me out. I feel like just because of all this shit, it, this is just a big one for me. I don't know why. It just freaks me out. Which is shocking. Like, all of a sudden, like... Here's a wealthy family, and all of a sudden, boom, the parents are dead. Yeah. A bloody mess. I don't know. Something about these stories stays with me. I don't know. Now, the new owner encountered a few different things. When sleeping in the Bridget Sullivan room, the wind-up cat toy on the chest started to play on its own. Ooh. In the Andrew suite, he stayed alone in the house and heard voices, footsteps, and furniture move. Then one night, he felt a presence enter the room he was staying in, touching his leg and pulling on the comforter. Guests have experienced limbs or ears being pulled and have seen figures moving about the house. A woman in a nightgown is often seen in the Andrew and Abby suite, and this figure is believed to be Abby Borden. 
The manager, Jared, has seen doors move on their own. His parents happened to be the caretaker of Lizzie Borden House in the late 1990s. And when Jared was there as a child, he saw a shadow figure move in the basement. In 2021, the house was ranked number two on a list of 10 best haunted hotels worldwide. I have some extra reports of paranormal activity that people report smelling a mysterious floral scent that are signs of the Borden spirits. The Lizzie Borden house earned a 9.73 out of 10 on the spooky scale. On the spooky scale, I like that. I like that too. It was close enough to nearly take the top spot worldwide. It missed it only by a little bit. The number one spot was taken by the Mizpah Hotel in Nevada, which is another episode we should probably have about, since it's number one in the spooky scale. One really funny paranormal info, like a review, it's a direct quote from somebody that was left on TripAdvisor. It says, I was told that if you leave money on the dresser, Andrew Borden will leave you alone at night. (laughs) (laughs) If you select this room and would like to be left alone, I suggest you leave money. (laughs) You gotta leave money for the stingy man. You gotta leave money for the rich guy. (laughs) Even as stingy in his his death. (laughs) I thought that that was really funny, so I definitely wanted to add that. But I really like that it's ranked so high on the spooky scale. I thought that that was really interesting. And... It was cool knowing that number one was a spot that I knew, so I definitely wanted to throw it in there. But cool. yeah, I could see why people have spooky stuff happen there. I mean, it was a trauma. It seems like it happens. Yeah, it was a traumatic a place, and you know, it is what it is. Whatever. On to the next. So that is the story of the infamous Lizzie Borden. No wonder this house is ranked one of the most haunted. These murders were gruesome and terrible and absolutely terrible yes that's all the time we have for today stay spooky and don't forget to leave your money for mr borden